for real, right? I mean, I never saw I'd see that in my lifetime, but had such a great time uh, playing in the snow, and I can't wait to hear some of you guys' stories as well. So if you wouldn't mind, turn in uh, God's Word to John chapter 5. We're going to pick up in, in the Gospel of John. We've been moving through that through the past weeks. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, you'll find the text uh, in your bulletin that you received when you walked in. So you can follow along uh, through our preaching passage. But every time, i just like to center us into the author's intent, John, the disciple, um, arguably the best friend of Jesus. Uh, he calls himself the one who Jesus loved. As he's writing this book, this is his goal, right? John 20, verse 30. He says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that's the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that was predicted in the Old Testament would come and fix all the problems of the world. You have to believe, that's his goal, that Jesus is that guy, also the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is John's thesis for the entire book. And in the passage we're looking at today is probably the clearest picture that Jesus ever gives in, this, in his life, perhaps, of the fact that he is the Son of God. There's a lot of times in the Gospels and in the Bible where we read Jesus talking in veiled speech, almost like code language, secret language, where he's, he's kind of hinting or he's rolling out real slow who he is because he doesn't want to start a controversy too soon because he has to inform people about what a Messiah is really going to do. He has to inform people about what the Son of God really does. Who God really is. And we're going to look in this passage how well he demonstrates to us the character of God. That was his goal. So he, he rolls it out slow. But not here. Not in this passage. Doesn't mince his words at all. And one of the things that I'm hoping, it's one of the things that happened to me as I was able to study this passage this week. Uh, one of our hallmarks at King's Church is we, we want you guys to experience God legitimately, truly have an encounter with the living God uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. That means salvation, but it also means personal experience. What it means, if you were to, if the, the hero in your life, if you were to meet that person, it would be a fantastic experience, but it would be quite another experience to live with them and walk with them day to day. And in Jesus Christ, you can have both and what would happen if that were to happen to you and continue to happen to you is that it would have a life-transforming effect. And what we're seeing in this passage is that the worship and wonder of Jesus can have dramatic effects on our life. So I want to ask you a question and help you think about this. Have you ever been truly amazed by something? Maybe you were amazed by yesterday, by all the, all the snow that was coming down. I, I love having kids. Uh, one, one of my favorite things is, is all the amazement that they get to experience. That maybe it'd be old hat for us if you've been around for a while. And I keep being around longer and longer, right? But the snow's coming down. It's like 9 o'clock at night. We're walking around our neighborhood, and the snow's falling on us. And the, the eyes, the way they're, they're sparkling, and it's just they're amazed. Because, unfortunately, in some ways, they grew up in Columbia. We don't get this kind of thing very often, you know? So it's a brand new, a brand new experience. They're amazed, When's the last time you've truly been amazed? If we were having community groups today, this would be a fun question. 
for us to talk about. When your mind has been blown. When's the last time that's happened? It's becoming harder and harder, isn't it? When it's this, so we can experience and taste so many things in our life. But there's, I don't know, in my mind, there's kind of three types of, of, of amazement. I love, I love going to the circus. That probably tells you a lot about me. But I, I love going to the circus because I love being amazed. I love seeing motorcycles flying around in a cage. I love seeing pe- people doing backflip off the, of the trapeze. Last time we went, we saw a guy balancing like 30 feet in the air, like on a broomstick. I mean, cra- I love being amazed. I think you do too, right? Maybe for y'all, some of you, your, your amazement is, is in the realm of nature. There's nothing for you better than going and hiking to a top of a mountain and overlooking this view or seeing a sunrise or something like that, and it just amazes you, gobsmacks you, if you will. Or hey, maybe you're an old ex-athlete like me, and you're amazed by, by feats that you get to see. Last night we were at a USC basketball game. And I was amazed at this, this guy who caught an alley-oop, and it looked like his feet were dangling over the shoulders of another guy as he went and grabbed the ball and dunked. It just blew my mind. Or sometimes it amazes me when unexpected things happen. And like on, on our little basketball team, we had a girl that just apparently is completely disinterested in practice. But when the game time was around, she just lit the place up. And we were like, is this the same? It was amazing. What does it feel like to be amazed? What does that feel like? It's electric, isn't it? Doesn't it give you energy? Inspires you when you're amazed? When, when you're just grabbing the wonder of something? What is it? What is it? It makes you just feel like, what do you do when you're amazed? You talk about it. You can't wait to go tell somebody about it. And one of the other things that happens is when you're amazed is you dwell on it. You think about it. You obsess over it. You go, you go to bed thinking about it, right? You look for it again. So the question I want to ask you this morning, perhaps some of you have been Christians a long time. Perhaps some of you are coming back into Christianity. Maybe you've had an experience with church or something like that at a different point in your life. I don't know where you are today, but the question applies to us all. Does Jesus amaze you? Really? Because what we're about to read about in this passage is amazing. The claims he's making is amazing. And that should make us pause and wonder at who he is. We actually oftentimes call that worship. And that worship can transform our life. You ready to take a look? John chapter 5, begin reading in verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, that is healing, the Jews persecuted him. And Jesus said to him, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the Son of Man can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing, because whatever his, the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, to your amazement, He will show Him even greater things than these. 
For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Who, who, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. He has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. I myself can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have a simple prayer with a profound consequence. Lord, we would ask that as we pause to consider your word, as we worship you over your word, that you would take the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together and make them pleasing in your sight. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're thinking this morning about being amazed uh, with Jesus and, and how we should be based on all the things he claims in this passage, here's the big idea, the main thought for the morning. If you are amazed with Jesus, then you will also have peace, joy, and purpose. It's a pretty bold claim. If you're amazed with Jesus, then you will also have peace, joy, and purpose. The thing about being amazed, as we talked about just a minute ago with the things that amaze you, is it just doesn't last that long. Either you grow up and it doesn't do the same thing or it wears out or you're, not, you're just not into it like you were or you're looking for the next thing to amaze you. And the thing about Jesus Christ is you can never get to the end of the things about him that is incredible. In fact, even, we, I can't even fully mine everything in this passage. We'll do our best this morning. But even if we just stopped with that, there's so much more. You can never be into it. And then there's another thing with Jesus that we'll look into this passage is he adds so much because of the depth of who he is that he truly is the only thing that can provide it. And that when we are amazed with him, everything else that used to captivate us starts to become blurry to our hearts and what we want. So amazement with Jesus truly can change who we are. Five benefits this morning of being amazed with Jesus Christ. Number one, amazement with Jesus brings true wisdom and courage. Amazement with Jesus brings true wisdom and courage. Verse 16, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And Jesus said to them, uh, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I am too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was e even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. 
Now here's the context of the passage. First 15 verses, what we see is a man was a paralytic. He lost the use of, of any member of his body other than his voice box, it seems. And he had been sitting at this pool waiting for the angels. That was the, the, the teaching of the time to stir the water. And if you got into the water, you'd be healed. And he had been there for 38 years. And Jesus walks up to him and says, get up. And he does. He says, carry your mat and walk away. And he does. And then the religious leaders of the time, which when John says the Jews in this kind of derogatory fashion that he does throughout this passage, he's referring to the religious leaders of that time. That's kind of how he uses that phrase back and forth. He'll say Pharisees, or he'll say religious leaders, or he'll say the Jews. So that's, that's what he's talking about there. But he's talking about these religious leaders. They see this guy and they say, why are you carrying this mat? That's against the law of the Sabbath. It's against God's law. And he says, listen, I'm just doing what the guy who healed me said to do. And then he ends up finding out later from Jesus that he's the one who healed him and then goes back and tattles to these religious leaders about it. You see, what the Jews had done at the time, these religious leaders, is um, they had created in what's called the Mishnah 39 different types of work of which carrying a mat full of straw was one. These were their additions to the law of God. They weren't the law of God. These were their made-up additions to the law of God. And in fact, most of the controversy that surrounds Jesus' life and what ended up leading him to the, con- to, the, to the cross in general was the fact that he was healing on the Sabbath, and they thought that was working. A violation of what God says to do is honor the Sabbath day and rest. And we get a little bit of that in John's Gospel, but in Matthew, Mark, and Luke we see it all the time. But what's fascinating about this passage is how Jesus defends what he does. He doesn't say, listen, you guys made up all these laws. They're not real laws. You just made them up. What he, how he defends himself is he compares what he does to what God does. Did you see that? Jesus defends his activity on the Sabbath with God's activity on the Sabbath. He says, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Let me ask you this question. God created the earth in six 24-hour period days, right? And in the seventh day, he rested. What does that mean? Did God not do any activity on the seventh day? Well, that obviously can't be true because the world didn't cease to exist. Because who's holding this puppy up? It's God, right? So, but what did he cease from? His creative work. What he had been doing the prior six days. And the pattern for us was what we do six days, vocations, jobs, working the land, things of that nature, we're to take that pattern of rest on the Sabbath day. So it's the honor of the Lord's day, right? Rest. Give, the, give your employees things of that nature. Rest, okay? That's, that's the command. And what Jesus does is he defends his activity by comparing his actions. Guys, listen, my, my father is always at work, right? And what Jesus does here is he ups the ante, Not only is the Sabbath issue a deal, now he's comparing himself to the Father. They would have considered this blasphemy. Blasphemy is anything that you do to curse God or even to use his name lightly. This is is the third commandment. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. In fact, the Jews were so scared to use the Lord's name in vain that they wouldn't even say the Hebrew name of God to the point to which we're not exactly sure how even to pronounce it. I think the closest thing is Yahweh, Right, But some people say Jehovah. But the reason why we're, we're having to figure this out is because they wouldn't even say it. 
But Jesus here is comparing himself. He says, my father, and they equate that to blasphemy. You know what the penalty was for blasphemy? We see in Leviticus 24, public stoning to death. Talk about a way to go. Public stoning to death. We see that in Leviticus 24. The Jews took this very, very seriously. They had the authority, if they could prove that this was blasphemy, to just start picking up stones right there and chucking them. But they didn't. It's interesting. It says they tried all the harder to kill him. One thing we see here is is why amazement with Jesus can bring true wisdom is that they were fools. They couldn't see what was right in front of them. A fool is someone who's out of touch with reality. They couldn't see what was right in front of them. They were leaning on the wisdom that they had created by adding to the law of God. They had become so fixated on that law that they had created that maybe had good intentions in its beginning, but they were missing the miraculous right in front of them. They were missing the fact that this guy hadn't moved in 38 years. They were missing the fact that the blind can see. They were missing the fact that the lepers are no longer had leprosy. They were missing the fact that only the claims could be made that someone was the son of God if they could actually do the things that Jesus was doing. And Nicodemus was the only one who said, maybe I need to rethink things a little bit based on what this guy is doing. But the rest of them, they were so wrapped up in what they believed and couldn't be checked by the reality around them that they missed the Son of God. Hear me when I say this. They had forgotten that they were broken and sinful people. Let me ask you a question about the Old Testament. Is the Old Testament the history of how the Jews, Jewish people, always get it right and follow God perfectly? The Old Testament is a train wreck of disobedience and rebellion. But these guys were the ones, apparently, that couldn't sin or be wrong. They assumed the divinity of their own opinion and missed the divinity of Jesus Christ. Secondly, it says they tried all the harder to kill him. What does that mean? They tried? If they think they have justification for blasphemy, then why didn't they just pick up rocks and start throwing them? Here's why. They were cowards. Their courage was based on public opinion, not upon what they believed in the stone of who they are. They knew everyone around them would be upset because they saw what Jesus doing. So instead of having true courage that stemmed from true conviction, they looked around and saw how many people would approve or disapprove and decided not to do it. They let everyone else decide what they believe, what they were going to do and how courageous they were going to be. They tried harder. But if you're truly amazed with Jesus Christ, you can be truly wise and courageous. Let me read you one verse and then we'll move on. Acts chapter 14, 13, talking about Jesus' disciples. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished because they were so wise. And they took note that these men 
had been with Jesus. What was the source of their wisdom? What was the source of their courage? The fact that they had been with Jesus. Thousands and thousands of people have gone to their death by being eaten alive by lions, by being tortured for the faith because they wouldn't deny Jesus Christ. They've been burned at the stake. They've been drowned all because of why. They were amazed and devoted to Jesus and public opinion didn't decide their courage and the wisdom that they believed came from God himself. They were willing to go to the nth degree, not like these guys, because they were truly amazed and strengthened by God. Point number two, amazement with Jesus brings true peace and satisfaction. Verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer, I tell you the truth, the Son of God can do nothing by himself. He can, he can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Jesus calls himself not a son, don't miss this, but the son. He is clearly claiming divinity. He is claiming divine sonship. He is not speaking in code any longer. But you'll notice something about God, about Jesus here, is he's not a renegade firstborn son or any of that. The, the, the narrative here is not a son who's rebellious to his father. You know, the book of Proverbs is written like a father to a son. And Jesus is almost a perfect picture here. He says, I, I completely and utterly submit to my father for two reasons. One, his relationship with the father was his source of ultimate satisfaction. And number two, he didn't need anything from this world or from the people in it. This passage teaches a, a, one of the core Christian doctrines called the Trinity, where God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one God and three persons, same in essence. And what we see here in the doctrine of the Trinity is that God needed nothing from us. He didn't create the world or us because he needed something. He created the world and us to share what he was with us, right? And so when Jesus comes down, he doesn't come down because he needs our approval. He has the approval of the Father and the Spirit. He has the love that we can't even fathom or complain. He didn't need anything. So when these Pharisees come and challenge him, he's unmoved because he has a source of true satisfaction and a source of true peace. This is actually the complete opposite of Satan. His attempt is to try and overthrow God. Listen, true peace and satisfaction can only come from knowing that God is satisfied with you. True peace and satisfaction can only come from knowing that God is satisfied with you. And Jesus knows that ultimately. Nothing can compare with that. It doesn't really matter what people think about you if God is completely satisfied with you. You can move away from the anxiety and the pressure to succeed and all of the things that swirl around our head and hearts every single day if you know that the ultimate reality, the ultimate reason for your existence is well satisfied with you. And you can know that through faith in this Son. Number three. Amazement with Jesus brings true perspective on who you should be living for. 
verse 20, the back half of it. Yes, and to your amazement, he will show you even greater things than these, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so even the Son gives life to whom he pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son that they may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. The word for amazement here in this passage, this Greek word means to be caught up in wonder or amazement or even worship. And he's saying that's the goal of what he's saying. That the, the, everything that Jesus is doing should lead into worship. He's healing the paralytic. He's, he's making the blind see all of that thing. And then Jesus goes a step further again and says, but you haven't seen anything yet. In the Old Testament, it was clear God was a judge. And here Jesus is saying, actually, the Father has delegated the power of judgment to me. I'm the one who's going to make the call. He is claiming not only that he's the son of God now, but that he has been given the authority to judge who to give eternal life to and who not to give eternal life to. This is talking here about the, the, the resurrection, the spiritual resurrection that, that everyone's going to go through, whether it is to heaven or hell. And Jesus here is claiming that he is, in fact, the judge. Again, this is blasphemy of the highest order, unless it's true. And he says, honor the Son. You know, if I was thinking about honor this week. Honor isn't adding value to someone. Honor is recognizing the value in someone. And there's really nothing more that you can do for someone. I, I don't think this is one of the sweetest things that you can do for someone. I know I appreciate it. When you sincerely go to them and tell, you how, tell them how valuable they are to you. When you honor them with either how, either how you serve them, how you love them, or what you say to them. And when we honor Christ, we are blessing Him. But the best way that we can honor Him is to recognize the reality of who he is as the Son of God and judge of all the universe and to be awestruck by him. There's no more bigger honor than we can give him. And if he is the judge, it forces us to ask this very legitimate question of, of who are we living for or what are we living for? Who are we living to impress is it the people in our field, or the parents who never gave us approval, the spouse, children's, friends, people on social media? Who is it? Whose disapproval crushes you? I was at the Gamecock game last night, and one of the players just made a, a stupid foul uh, towards a high-pressure point of the game, and the, instantly the coach just tells the next guy to get up and throws him in there really quick and gets him back to the bench, and he's like, what are you doing? Just in his face, what are you doing? Almost like, have you ever played this game before? And it, it was actually kind of sad to watch. The kid just sat down and hung his head for a minute. Because who doesn't want to make their coach happy, right? Who, who do you want to make happy? Here's one of the greatest truths about Christianity and what sets it apart from everything else. Through faith in Jesus Christ, God is satisfied with you. Your salvation, your sanctification, your salvation particularly isn't based upon your effort. 
You know, some of us in this room struggle with our, our, our salvation, whether or not we're really saved. How do I know? How do I know? This is how you can know. Listen to me. You, you don't, you're not going to know simply because you feel good about your spiritual life or what you've done or how you're praying or read your Bible. You know how you're going to know? Because the Son of God has literally come down to earth and He has lived a perfect life and He has sacrificed Himself and He rose again from the dead. It's based upon Him. Your faith attaches you to that. Your faith isn't the source of your salvation. Your faith attaches you to the salvation. I'm going to date myself a little bit, okay? Anybody remember the movie Twister? Remember the movie Twister back in the day? It was a great movie. And one of the epic scenes in the movie, they're literally in the middle of the Twister, and there's a pipe that runs deep into the ground, and they grab these leather belts, and they strap themselves to this pipe, and, and it holds them down as everything is flying away. That's what faith is. It's attaching you to the anchor. That leather strap is not what saved you. It's that pipe that runs deep. You want to know how you can know? Be amazed that the Son of God came down and suffered the way He did. And that amazement will give you assurance. That's who you should be living for. Fourth and fifth, very quickly. Amazement with Jesus brings ears to hear and have eternal life. It's fascinating, he says here in verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Jesus says, honor, you want to honor me? Listen. Listen to what I say. Amazement with Jesus, can, whenever you, you worship him, you're caught up in wonder at who he is, it turns your ear on so that you can listen to what he says. And the words of Christ heal and save. He says it in verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes, that's the requirement, hear and believe that he will have eternal life. Can you hear Jesus' words? Perhaps you're still skeptical. I understand that. Is it just, can, how is it just belief that I'm not so sure I can grab that? How, is it, how can we just listen to Jesus' words? Does he really have that kind of authority? Well, he proves it in about five chapters. In, in John chapter 11, Jesus speaks, and a dead man walks out of the grave. He says he's going to have the authority over the dead. He did it in chapter 11, and hundreds of people witnessed it. They all saw Lazarus dead, and then they all hung out with Lazarus after Jesus raised him from the dead. And there was no confusion as to how that happened. Jesus' words commanded death itself. He bears that kind of weight. And finally, amazement with Jesus brings true purpose for your life. I talk to a lot of people about purpose. I think about purpose a lot. I don't think you can't help it. I wonder all the time, is, is, am I doing enough with my life? It, 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 whenever I die, can I say that my life counted? I know that a lot of y'all are asking the same questions, and, and we, we talk about it a lot. So, several people will, will have lunch or something, and they'll say, you know, I'm doing pretty good in my career, but I just, ah, something, I don't know if I have purpose, and, 
And, and when they're questioning their purpose, there's a lot of things that happen. Sometimes there's a, we think about changing careers or, or, or emphasis, or maybe we get involved in, in some volunteer organizations. None of those things are bad, but, but look at this. Verse 30. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but those who sent me. Jesus' chief desire is to please the Father. That's it. Please the Father. That's why he came. You know, humans don't do well with power. Have you all noticed that? You know, I even notice in kids when we'll say, like, uh, you pick out the dessert tonight, what's the first thing that happens? Nah, I get to pick out. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I got the power for just a second. And it's like, see... You know, and, it, and that only magnifies that the older you get. What do dictators do with all their power if it's unchecked? They eat on gold plates while everyone else starves for food. Well, think about everything, all the wars that were fought so that you could gain more power. Maybe make that argument now with what's going on in our world with Russia and Ukraine and all of these things. How well do humans do with power? Jesus had all the power in the universe, and you know what he did with it? He submitted. That's what he did with it. He submitted to the will of the Father. What's your purpose in life? All those are good questions to ask. You know, maybe a change in careers or get involved in the church or do more things. Those are great. Those are great questions to ask. There's nothing wrong with that. But maybe it's the wrong question. Maybe the question we should ask is, what does God want from our life? How can we stop trying to please everyone else and just be content with the pleasure of God? And I seek in that. Last thing I'll say is, Jesus says, I judge only as he, I hear. Jesus frequently spent a lot of time alone with God. Frequently. How are you going to know unless you spend time with God? Unless you open up his word, read, think. Unless you spend time in, in prayer. How are you going to know? How? Jesus knew because he was with God. What I want for you today and what I want for you, what I want for myself is simply to be amazed by God. Simply to worship Him and know Him and love Him. And what I think will happen the more that we lean into that is we'll start to be able to taste maybe for the first time what real satisfaction feels like. Because if the divine is happy with you, then all is well with you and the universe. Because He owns it all. And He created it all. I truly believe that amazement or worship, another way to think about it, of this Son of God who has the authority of judgment, who can speak to the grave and the person gets out of it, leads to ultimate joy and peace and purpose. Because if you're really amazed, then the transition to honor, transition to obedience, transition to sacrifice and service 
I think that's a pretty simple transition. If there's true amazement in worship. Let's ask God to help us do that. Father in heaven, as we finish our time worshiping you over the word this morning, we would ask, uh, Lord, that you would help us. One of the things that, that I am very well aware of is that I don't have the ability a lot of times to make myself be amazed with you or to make anybody else be amazed with you. I pray, Father, that you would help us. We have seen some amazing things about you in the Word this morning. But we need you to almost turn the light on in our hearts, in, in our, the eye of our heart, if you will, that you would captivate us and allow the rest of the things that we think are so important to just kind of blur in the glory and the weight of who the Son of God, the ultimate Son of Man is. And we pray this in Jesus' name.